Welcome to the Waking Up to Money podcast. It's called Waking Up to Money because of its double meaning. Uh, we record these podcasts every Wednesday morning when we think most people are waking up. And what we talk about is the idea of waking up to your relationship to money and how that impacts how you do pricing in your business. So we believe that if you can shift that relationship, you can price your products and services in a way that positively impacts your business and the lives of your clients. We record these podcasts live so that we can invite guests to ask questions too. This means you'll hear about challenges and situations from people like you, and we ground the ideas and tactics we share in real-world situations. We hope you'll find these episodes a valuable resource as you try to work out what it means to price more powerfully and confidently. Our hope is by sharing these ideas, we'll stop you getting in your own way of making the money and impact that you want to make in your business. Enjoy. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carlos. Are you waking up to money today? I'm awake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fully awake. I'm fully awake in all respects, except to money. (laughs) I've got this image now of like waking up, walking down the stairs in a big pile of money. (laughs) Oh, look. look. I've woken up to money. That's lovely. <laughs> Big pile. Good morning, everyone who's joined us today. Uh, please say hello in the chat. Uh, share where you are calling in from and how are you feeling today? Joyful, tired, energized, Awake. excited. Uh, do you f- do you feel the crocus of hope poking Ooh, out from nice. the? <laughs> <laughs> from the icy fields of lockdown uh, <laughs> that is, that's, that's a beautiful picture good old boris johnson he is an inspiration is that what he said that's what he said oh no i didn't know that's what I, came from. <laughs> I wonder if anyone else who is uk based got that reference <laughs> So today um, we're going to kind of riff off the topic. Um, oh, thank you, Dizzy. She's into the crocus of hope. <laughs> um, riffing off the topic um, of when pricing goes wrong, um, and you know, probably to touch on how you can make it go right. Um, but I was thinking maybe there are. I don't know, if if any of you who are watching, if you have uh, an example or a story where you felt that when you were doing pricing and it went, it, it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, um, then please share any you know any stories or, or or questions around that in the chat, and we'd love to kind of bounce bounce off those ideas. Um, but in the meantime. I don't know, Ben. Is there? Is there? Do you have any thoughts on this, or stories you'd like to kick off with, or how would you like to start the the ball rolling? Mm, yeah. yeah. So um, I guess when we were in our planning session, like we have very comprehensive planning sessions ready for these, um, which I think involves a little bit of kind of WhatsApp question exchange. Um, it's kind of this thing that was sort of coming out, which is, I guess, a little bit about when sort of, we call it when pricing goes wrong, but obviously it's really when the selling goes wrong, 
in some respects. So the the kind of thing, well, there were two things which sort of came to mind. One, um, uh, in a weird kind of waking up to money kind of way, I think I was actually waking up one morning and I was thinking about these sessions. And the thought that came into my mind was less about waking up to money and more about waking up to no money. What happens if you wake up to no money? Um, and so that kind of feeling where kind of things have kind of gone wrong. Uh, maybe they've gone wrong with the business in a sort of, you know, you know, catastrophic kind of whole business kind of way. Uh, or maybe they've gone gone wrong in a, in a sort of smaller way in that, you know, the kind of thing that you're trying to make work doesn't work. The project that you're trying to sell doesn't sell. Uh, and the role that kind of money and price plays into that. Uh, and so there were a few different things in there. And the one one of the things I was kind of thinking about was was kind of pricing too aggressively, charging charging too much, or the feeling that you're charging too much. Uh, and uh, one of the things which was kind of alive for me, I was talking to um, talking to somebody about some work that I might do with them. And I, you know, I had a really really clear picture of how I could help with them. I knew exactly what they needed and wanted. Uh, well, I I thought I knew exactly what they kind of needed and wanted. But anyway, I had a really kind of clear picture of exactly where they wanted to get to and how I would help them get there. Uh, and also what the value of that would be. Um, and so I was pretty clear about that and pretty sure about that. And I kind of pushed quite hard about, you know, what the kind of cost of that would be, because it was kind of clear to me, you know, what they would get back and all of the all of the all of the return that they would get. <clears throat> but they they weren't they didn't bite even though it kind of looked like a complete no-brainer to me it clearly wasn't looking like a no-brainer to them yet and it was just that kind of useful reminder really which is it doesn't actually kind of matter what we think in many respects it doesn't really matter how clear something looks to us and in many respects it doesn't actually matter how much what we're selling costs because the only thing that's important is how clear and how well understood that is in the kind of heart and the mind of the person that you were trying to sell your stuff to. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, so I guess it was just this sort of thing that sort of coming up, kind of feeling which was a sort of present thing for me, which was trying to kind of push somebody too hard too soon. Uh, and that then, of course, kind of creates resistance. But, yeah, so the reminder actually is not really about the amount of money because even in that instance, I could have been dramatically less and maybe they would have thought about it differently. But then if it's dramatically less in the context of what I was talking to them about, there would have been a different kind of incongruity. It would have felt disconnected in another way. Um, so the, the amount wasn't the important thing. The level of comfort and understanding that they had about what we were talking about was the important thing. Uh, and so it was just a kind of reminder, a reminder of that, really. What springs to mind, one thing was, is, was the question on... Um, well, so what I hear you talking about is a bit about clarity on the customer side and this real, I'm going to say clarity and commitment um, because I think if there's clarity about the outcome you want to create and you know the value of it and then there's a commitment to make that happen, then, okay, you're ready to buy in my the way I'm interpreting that. And then that may be linked to the first thing that sprang to mind was timing mm. and how timing plays into the phrase, the really sort of boring phrase that springs is coming to my head is the sales cycle. It's like mm -hmm. when in this wave of like, oh, I'm ready to buy it. Oh, I'm not ready to buy it. Oh, I'm ready to buy it. That mm -hmm. thing where we catch people and whether that's something totally out of our control or something that we can 
like a wave machine <laughs> encouraged mm. the peaks more than the troughs. Yeah. Mean? Yeah, and it's then it raises a good question because I know we touched on this a little bit in the email that we sent out, which, of course, everybody reads and pays a lot of attention to, which is <laughs> this thing around... Um, oh, 40% you know, open rate. I'm not sure about the read rate. <laughs> I think once you open it, you just... By osmosis, you consume all of the knowledge, so therefore, it's it's very dynamic email in that in that respect. Oh, um, quick plug! And we have a podcast now. So, if you want to go back to any of that stuff and you want to do it while doing the di listen to it while doing the dishes, you can check out the podcast. I know Dizzy did actually listen to this while doing the dishes the other day. She said she had her marigolds on, so she's already beating the podcast requirement. Effortlessly. Um, <laughs> Effortless learning. Anyway, we were talking. So we were talking about uh, sales cycle. You were sort of saying, and and I think because yeah, one of the things that we were sort of kicking backwards and forwards in the email correspondence was the point uh, around somebody. You know, when it is that somebody is willing to act, uh, and so uh, in the context of sort of selling something, you know, when and we were talking about you know people really only willing to act when the cost to not do exceeds the cost to do it. And actually, when we were sort of sharing that, I wasn't really sharing that from the point of, a, of view of a sort of sales thing. It actually came up again. Uh, I was listening to an interview between uh, the podcaster, Rich Roll, and the um, author, Stephen Pressfield, uh, who's written about kind of resistance and writing and all those good things, well worth reading all of his books. Um, but he, Rich Roll, as a sort of recovering alcoholic, he was talking about it in that respect. He was sort of saying, you know, for a recovering alcoholic, You've got it that point where you've got to hit bottom, and so it's only when you kind of hit bottom that the kind of cost of not doing something exceeds then the cost of the kind of uncertainty. And I was just sort of really sort of struck by that as sort of so important for any kind of any decision to do something, any point of transition or transformation is the cost to not doing it needs to exceed exceed the cost to doing it. And I know when we were sort of writing the email and sharing the email that's going out this week, that was actually the lens that I was thinking about it through. But of course, then that does raise questions around what you're asking, uh, which I don't know that I immediately have an answer for. But it raises a question about what you're asking, which is <clears throat> the role of that in in the kind of in the sales journey. And of course, I guess what lots of in some respects, selling is a kind of transfer of feeling, isn't it? You know, it's it's a kind of a feel, a transferring a feeling that you know um, I can help you get to the place that you want to get to. And you know, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting question. Can you? artificially create that i mean i guess in some respects you can try and manipulate people to that but i guess i you know i really believe quite strongly is that people only really buy something when they've already decided they want to do it you can, it's very difficult i know we kind of lots of the literature says otherwise but actually really persuading somebody to do something which they haven't already decided they want to do i think is a lot of work and kind of pointless i would say so this thing around sort of the sort of sales cycle is kind of interesting. I guess that's why kind of diet, being in conversation, being in dialogue is important so that when something is right for somebody, you are present, you are aware, you are in mind so that then they can make that connection. And sure, there's other things you can do around, like I say, transferring a feeling and reassuring and helping people kind of connect their problem up with your solution and the kind of dance of that dialogue. But ultimately, you know, the kind of the go button happens where the things align. And, you know, yes, you could try and manipulate that, but clearly we're not talking about that. And uh, we're just talking about being present so that when the things align, you're both in the room, the metaphorical room. Mm. 
So what this touches on for me is the the role of marketing and how that connects to what we talk about in terms of pricing. Uh, and so when it comes to pushing the button, like, okay, I want to commit, I want to do something, you know, giving, making it easier for them to buy from you, all the stuff that we talk on the course, giving people a way to frame the value at that moment, to, to, to be comfortable with the number that they're going to pay. There's that point there. Then there's like actually how we get them to that point, how we get them to uh, or catch them at the point when they're ready to commit. That seems like a, there's uh, different ways that we can maybe talk about this. And the, a book that I read recently, which I found quite fa fascinating, is The Prosperous Coach. Um, and this is very specifically around coaching, um, well, coaching uh, or coaches trying to sell their coaching services. What I learned from that book, there's lots of stuff in that book. It's not the best book in the world, but there's some nuggets there like most books. 10%, 90% off. But the, the interesting piece that I found really useful for me as a coach is that I'm not selling, I'm coaching. And the idea of like um, the way they put it is like you you rather than having a, a sales conversation, you do a two hour coaching session. Uh, I know this is a lot for this, but let's run with this. Like, if you have a high value coaching service, it's like if you do a two hour coaching session and say, "All right, let's paint a picture of possibility. Let's understand what the problem. You know, really get an awareness." Because I think part of this is some of some people just aren't aware of the challenges, or they push them away and they're just like trundling along trying to forget all the problems that they should be trying to tackle you get them to a point of clarity like ah that's where i could get to this is where i am now these are things in the way now i'm open to understanding okay exploring what value that could be or even through that conversation really having an understanding of the value that could be and so when when i was thinking about is when when is it the right time actually you can manufacture or get people into that headspace by giving your time and not with any expectation that they will buy. And this is the interesting thing from this book is like, you are always coaching every conversation you have, you're trying to not sell, but just get them clear as to is this, is there somewhere they want to get to? And this is purely in the coaching environment. So when I then think about marketing, and even this stuff like this, what we're trying to do is just give people a window into what's possible. And what are the challenges and what are the things that they need to think about so that when we do say, all right, we've got the course ready to go and it's ready for you to sign up and we're going to show you how these things work in practice, which for information is no longer the end of March. We're going to be doing it on the 12th of April. <laughs> we, will, we will contact you on that. But anyway, um, talk about that later. But when it does come to like, all right, this is ready to, to go, then people are more, I think, equipped potentially, to understand why it's relevant to them. A lot of other stuff we, I, I, uh, is going to be out of our control. You know, when I think of timing, I think, of like, when am I most need of an accountant? When I have to do a fucking tax return? <laughs> it's like, that's when I'm primed for, like, ah, someone help me with this. When it comes to pricing, that's an interesting one. It's like, when is someone ready to learn how to price well? Uh, when they, like, scrabbling for money because oh, I don't have any clients or when they're at actually I you know this is what I'd love to work with people I'm here and I love to be there 
and I can see there's a potential to be there, but there's this work to be done that I've put aside for ages. I don't know, you know, I haven't really committed to doing it. And that's where I think, we're, you know, being able to talk to that commitment or creating that thing, all right, are you ready to make that commitment? And can you see the, the benefits that will create for you? That's where I think we can make those peaks of possibility more available to people. I don't know. I'm rambling now. No, no. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think this, this is specifically – so. For, I talk specifically about coaching there. What I was then trying to extrapolate to, and this is where I think, for me, I'm coming to more terms with marketing and how to market authentically, mm-hmm. is that that's, that's a kind of like a I'm going to – I'm now looking at it. It's always coaching. Where we're yeah. talking about this, whether I'm writing a blog post, whether I'm putting a tweet, how do I think of it as, okay, I'm going to just create a picture of possibility around pricing or a picture of possibility around building a, st- a business that's aligned with who you really are. And this, these kind of like, and it's just telling stories that hopefully capture people's imagination and identify some of the th- invisible roadblocks that they mm-hmm. had in their in their lives. Yeah. I don't know what comes up for you, and I see we have a, a comment from Lily uh, that we can maybe um, tackle. One of, the, uh, one of the things which came up for me as you were sort of talking there, I know all of this sort of notionally is about kind of money and pricing, uh, and, you know, when is a good time? One of the things you were sort of talking about there. The, the thing is that, you know, whilst it's, you know, whilst the course itself says pricing on the tin, you know, the metaphorical tin, the money jar, um, of course, that, is just a kind of consequence, you know, the the kind of price, you know, to the question, is it a good time to look at pricing? Every Everything really that sits underneath and behind the course goes to the heart of, well, what is it that we're selling and how are we selling it? Um, so, you know, that's why every, all the examples you were kind of giving there. That's why I think for me, the coaching thing is really interesting because actually coaches have a kind of innate uh, kind of ability, a skill to be able to kind of take their coaches uh, on on a journey and essentially everything that we're talking about on the course is you know what is it that you're selling and how you're selling it and so you know in some respects whilst not wanting to confuse things too much it could also be called the happy selling course <laughs> because it's about the attitude with which you come to that conversation with clients because as soon as you say to you say to salespeople, sorry as soon as you say to most people are you a salesman, a person, sorry? They'll go, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Because the image that we have in our minds, of course, is that kind of salespeople are kind of sort of slimy tricksters who are basically getting me to do something that I don't want to do uh, or some other kind of, you know, sort of wrong wrong agenda. But of course, that's sort of total rubbish. We're all salespeople. Um, you know, if you have children or spend any time with children, you kind of see that you're sort of selling all of the time. You know, do you want to have vegetables with that? Uh, is a kind of ridiculous sales journey we go on with kids. You think about these kind of things all the time. And kind of all of us, whether you have kids or no kids or whatever, have spent time in a playground maybe quite a long time ago. But if you think about all of the sort of interactions that are happening there, it's not about me imposing a point of view on you. It's about us in the playground and the playground like the work ground, us kind of working out together some sort of course of action, some sort of thing, and and kind of doing it. And, you know, so that there is a kind of ease to the interaction. There is a sort of symbiosis to the interaction so that my interests are aligned with your interests. And when that alignment happens, you know, like a kind of clutch, essentially, we kind of slot into gear and off we go. And there is an ease to that. 
And I think that that's actually what sits behind the course is this happy selling, this point where your interest and your client customer's interests are kind of locked together. And when that happens, there is a sort of ease to it. I think that's the thing we're really aiming for. And I guess so in my turn, I'm rambling now, where, where you were sort of saying, you know, what is the right time to do this? I think it's you could say to people, is now a good time to work on pricing? And in many respects, I think people quite fairly go, well, I don't know. I don't know if now's a good time to work on pricing. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Is now a good time to be engaging with your clients in this kind of symbiotic way? Because the symbiotic way makes for an ease. And in that ease is an opportunity to earn more. That feels like a very good time, very good thing to work on. But I guess it, it all comes back to kind of wording. So I think uh, there's so many things I wanted to sort of like sort of tag on and build on there. But now the the to illustrate maybe this idea of coaching rather than selling helping someone get to clarity rather than convincing them that this is the thing that they should buy. I think about the first exercise we talk about, the more money manifesto. Mm. What will more money buy you? And maybe this is what we should be talking about more. You know, mm. every week is like, what's your more money manifesto? How are you, what does it mean to earn more money for you? And how do you shift? And again, and the, we were talking about objections to maybe doing a pricing course before, like, you know, what would stop someone doing it? You know, we're eating our own dog food here. It's like, what would stop someone doing the happy pricing course? And we said, what assumptions can we make about that objection? What sprang to mind is like, ooh, kind of asking for more money is greedy. It's like, I, I, I can't ask for more money because I'll be seen as like taking advantage of people. And so if we're able to, give people the tools or the way of thinking like actually pricing better you know increasing my prices because one of the things we're not going to do is try and tell you to decrease your prices you know at the basis of what i get from what ben was saying there there is a symbiosis you're not trying to con people but at the same time if you believe the value of what you create the outcomes you create is not reflected in the price that your customers pay you then how you know you can, there's going to be an issue there in terms of your energy and, and in terms of the freedom you have in your life to do other stuff if you could see if you if you can see there's an actual uh, a picture where you could probably work less or maybe focus on a few more fewer people so that you can really dive into their work but you could charge more rather than just bouncing from customer to customer trying to beg for work and so that's what sprang to mind in terms of like, you know, one of the ways that we are trying to coach people into this idea is actually, A, how can you think about more money, but in a way that doesn't feel greedy, that doesn't feel like you're taking advantage of people, that actually a positive impact in your world, not just personally, but the other people you want to help. Anything. Yeah. Um, so I see Dizzy, Dizzy had a question. I will answer that in, in a second. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a, a lot of this is about ease, isn't it? I mean, we were talking, we were sort of joking when we were looking at this sort of webinar stroke radio show stroke podcast, whatever, whatever it is, you know, saying that actually what we wanted to do was like, well, what, what is the, the kind of 
uh, most easeful thing we can do? What you know, what is what is the the kind of most energizing, most easeful thing we can do, which doesn't feel like a burden, doesn't feel like a sort of stress. And you know, we kind of sort of settled on this because it's something that kind of we both enjoy and the rest of it. And I think that's kind of running through the whole thing. It's running through how we're doing this. It also runs through the course. Like, actually, what is the most easeful thing I can do? What is the role of money? and price to facilitate that ease. And I think that that kind of talks a little bit to the more money, the more money manifesto that you were kind of referencing to get really clear, well, what would more money buy me? Uh, and, you know, there are so many kind of things in that. It does, it might buy you more time. It might buy you more opportunity. It might buy people who work for you more opportunity. There's so many different kind of rich and varied things that more money buys. And actually when we really connect to the goodness of that, then we have an energy to go into thinking about it to kind of making it work a little bit better for you. I like um, So, yes, so Dizzy's question. Uh, blah, 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 whether they already have a budget for the area of delivering. Yeah, so I I, I would say, Dizzy, yeah, always inquire. And, of course, like the thing that we always know happens, we say to somebody, do you have a budget? And they go, no, no, I don't. Tell me how much it costs. But, of course, that's total rubbish. They have a rough idea. You know, either there is an, there is an amount or they have a kind of feeling for what is the right amount. So I would suggest always ask if they if they have a budget. Um, when they invariably say they don't, uh, or at least you know 80% of the time they say they don't have a budget, uh, they just want to know what it costs. The thing to do in that instance is to kind of go straight back to them straight away before you go back with any sort of proposal and say, in situations like this, um, clients have typically invested between this and this. Uh, and you want that range to be quite high and therefore there to be a figure in there which feels like a lot of money, essentially whatever that is in the context of the thing that you're providing. Because what you're you're trying to do, you will see straight away what their response is. They might fall off their chair uh, in a kind of gasping horror. Then you'll know the range that you've given them is very, very high for them. Uh, or you will see that actually there isn't really a kind of response and then you'll know that the kind of top range of what you've, you've put to them is in the kind of ballpark of what they're expecting so using go you know asking the budget yes going back with a range is a really helpful way of just trying to kind of flush out actually what they're thinking hmm. so there's uh one of the things we talk about is uh, around experiments and, and if part of this is, is kind of like feeling out for um probing to find out where 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 your customer is at rather than just thinking this is a number that feels right for me. Um, I'm also conscious, and this might be not what you're doing, Dizzy, and, and apologies if this is uh, projecting, but um, trying to say oh, what I understood, what I've learned from you, Ben, is, is trying not to think or trying not to have that conversation about a number too quickly. It's like, and this is what I learned from this Prosperous Coach book, is talking about, Firstly, about the value, talking about all the outcomes, the things, the challenges involved, and then the things that you want to get to, and the, the what's getting in the way, and how how what what would happen if those obstacles were taken away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, really coming from that frame of mind of value um, before even thinking about numbers, and so that it doesn't derail um, the potential for creating more value. Or yeah, the I mean, one of the kind of rules of thumb in the in the course and which we kind of work to is, is the is the quicker you start talking about price inevitably the lower it will be cool um and uh dizzy was uh, just mentioned i think this is kind of context 
I'm assuming she wants to offer a service to a, an organization that already is trying to do something in the area, but it's not working. So she says she knows Netflix offers a welfare facility for lead staff, but it's run in a format that she knows is not working for people enough. Uh, and she knows they're arresting already. Um, would you ever open that conversation in negotiations? So it's like, when I understand that question, it's like, uh, would I comment on the fact that it isn't working as well and mm. that there's a, probably a better way? That's my understanding with this question. I think in that instance, the important thing, the, the important perspective, you know, so that it may be true that the people who've done the course don't feel it's working for them. But in some respects, the important perspective is the person who's organized the course. Um, do they think it's working or how do they think it's working? You know, just the using kind of open-ended questions. So you might know it's not working because you've heard from people. The thing to kind of flush out is how the organizers feel that it's working because they also might be very defensive about that. They might be resistant to that. They may not want to sort of acknowledge that the thing that they put on isn't working. So again, going back to you, Carlos's thing about always be coaching in some respects, actually using that questioning, how is the course working out now? How is it working? How is it not working? We'll, we'll kind of give them opportunities to kind of talk their way into it. So I think, yes, it's an important point you want to get to because them acknowledging that point is their reason to engage you in something new but how you get them to that point you just need to be mindful that they will be defensive around that or they could well be defensive around that i think that's a really good point um because if you st if, if there's any element of you essentially criticizing early decisions mm. and then someone feeling like they've done wrong that feels that that's you know even from my point of view, is like I, I that brings in the really negative energy. <laughs> it's like I'm now in a place of like <laughs> now I don't mm. want to make a decision because I don't want to get things wrong. <laughs> How do I know yeah. if I work with you? I'm not going to get it wrong again. Mm. So I don't feel empowered to make a choice or, or to yeah. move forward. And com companies do this all the time. The companies make this mistake all the time um, when they are selling to other companies, which is sort of either explicitly or implicitly criticizing criticizing customers. Sorry, hold on a second. I'll be two seconds. Two seconds. Two seconds. Two seconds. Thank you. You know this is live. You know it's live. Yeah, companies kind of implicitly or explicitly sort of criticizing their competitors. And, of course, the problem with that is what you are criticizing potentially is that person's choice about working with them. And, you know, that, like you say, that will kind of suck all of the kind of life and joy and will out of the conversation. So, yeah, it's, a, it's as you put it, it's, it's a very important point. So um, this feels like we're touching on when selling goes wrong mm -hmm. and when you are offering yourself as uh, a better choice to what the customer made before. So you need to be really conscious about how you do that, uh, even though you know you can do a better job. Um, it feels like it relates a little bit to this kind of like, um, what do you say, the outcome or, or the, it, it costs you more to stay where you're at than, than spending on something that is going to be somewhere different. I forget the phrasing you use. How, what was it, Ben? Um, that, <laughs> sorry, I have a six-year-old standing next to me. <laughs> You can get them to tell you what it is. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so the the basically people will only act when the cost of not doing it yeah. exceeds the cost of doing it. <laughs> so that feels like a, how do you coach someone? How do you have a conversation where they they really understand that? And then with the pricing going wrong, it's <laughs> hello. <laughs> I'm just finishing this thing. Okay? So if you just hold on two seconds, I will come down, all right? <laughs> we're all, we're we've, got a poker, we've got a Pokemon emergency in the house. So. Oh, no. Well, we will make sure you can address that Pokemon emergency. Mm -hmm. So I think to finish off, in terms of when pricing goes wrong, I think it's when you jump in too quickly with a price. Jump in mm -hmm. with a price which is in your head rather than the price that they've kind of come up with than actually... That's when you can you can either lose someone, or like we said in the email, you come off a bit cheap. Mm, yeah, because it, exactly, it's an important point. It works both ways around. Yeah. So I hope that's been helpful. I hope that you can take some of that and and play with that in, in your work and your businesses. Uh, please um, let us know if you tried any of this stuff and and how it went. Uh, ping us an email or you can ping me an email on carlos at happystartups.co. Um, what's your email address, Ben, if people want to get in touch with you? It's uh, ben at 10percentbetter.co. Nice and long and impossible to remember, which I realized is uh, not a helpful we will put thing. those in the chat for you to, uh, yeah, if you type in the chat, then people can uh, um, ping you a message yeah. to let you know how all of this advice helped. So until next week, um, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, I hope you have found that useful uh, and, yeah, energizing. And, yeah, thank you for your questions, Dizzy. And yeah, yeah, thank you. Sort out that Pokemon emergency. I will. It's everything, everything needs to stop until we deal with Pokemon. Nice <laughs> <laughs> one. Catch you later. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Waking Up to Money podcast. We hope you found it useful. If you're new to this podcast and this idea of waking up to money, then you may be interested in our happy pricing manifesto and course. Go to our website at happypricing.co where you can download the manifesto and also get a copy of our happy pricing canvas. The manifesto is our declaration of what we believe is important for pricing well and pricing happy. The Canvas is a tool to help you make sense of the prices you currently set and what you can do to price more methodically and confidently. Twice a year, we also run our Happy Pricing course, where you'll get the chance to learn more deeply the ideas we share on the podcast with the guidance and support of Ben and the cohort of like-minded peers who'll be doing the course with you. Please register to the course if you'd like to get alerted of when we're running it next. Go to the website, again, happypricing.co forward slash course. Also, please remember to follow us on Spotify and to share this episode and links to the podcast with any friends you think would find it useful. If you'd like to ask your questions live on our Waking Up To Money show, then register to our Crowdcast channel by going to ahappy.link forward slash waking up to money. See you soon.